0: and uh, go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. So your Bible should be open in Proverbs, and you should have a card with 1 to 31. If you haven't done the 1 to 31, you can... Um, Continue on that while I'm talking. What we're going to do today is we're starting a new sermon series on the book of Proverbs, which will carry us all the way down into summer. There'll be a couple of breaks for other bits and pieces, but basically, we're going to spend between now and the summertime in the book of Proverbs, learning from that. But before we get into that, let me talk about something different. I don't know if you've ever been to bookshops. Yesterday, I was in a really big bookshop, I love books. But there's um, a series of books that you find in a lot of modern bookshops um, or on the internet called the, the, um, the Dummies Guide or Something for Dummies. And it's kind of got a distinctive cover that's yellow and black and it's got this guy with a triangular head on it. And it's, it covers a whole range of subjects. And I, I did some research on the internet and I found that there are over 2,700 different titles for dummies. So Something for Dummies, 2,700 different titles. There's been over 200 million books in print from this series, this Dummies series. Uh, The most popular, as far as I could tell, was uh, Windows for Dummies. Windows being the computer operating system, Windows for Dummies, 15 million copies sold. And apparently it's the best-selling computer book ever windows for dummies and they cover all sorts of subjects so many different things and lots of kind of things you might be interested in, like computers for dummies or windows for dummies that you think oh I'm interested in that but what you also find are some really strange ones the real niche market ones and I found these these are genuine dummies guides Elvis for dummies no really there is jigsaw puzzles for dummies which contain a thousand numbered pieces and a map Dog photography for dummies. Yeah, dog photography. Really, there is. And there's, there's another one, a classic one I found, making millions for dummies. I think it can't be that good, can it? Because we, otherwise we'd all have it, and we'd all, it all work. And here's my absolute favourite. I love this one. Cosmetic surgery for dummies. $14.99 on Amazon. I think I'm going to make some money on the side. Once I get that, I'll be good to go. <laughs> but if you ever wanted kind of information for life, how you're going to live life. One of the things the Bible offers us is wisdom. And when we're going to look in the Proverbs today and for the rest of this series, effectively we're going to look at wisdom for dummies. We're going to look at what it means to be wise um, before God, wise in the ways of the world. And what the book of Proverbs offers us is that guide, that beginning guide. How do we get into these things? How do we learn these things? How do we learn to do life well? That's effectively what Proverbs is offering us as a book. And let me give you a little bit of background to the book of Proverbs. Um, The author, is um, it says at the beginning, is Solomon, who is David's son. David, the famous king of Israel, slayed Goliath. You may have heard of him. He had a son. His son was called Solomon, and he was the last king of Israel. The entire of Israel after his death, the kingdom split and it went from bad to worse. And he is the main author of this book. There are others mentioned. It says at one point it talks about the men of Hezekiah. There's another guy called Agur and a guy called Lemuel who are mentioned towards the back of the book. But the majority of it comes from this man Solomon. And outside of Jesus, he is considered the wisest man who ever lived. And if you've got your Bible, if you keep a, th- a finger in Proverbs and you move back to one king's, 1 Kings 3, I just want to read a quick section from the book of Kings about Solomon. I'm going to do 1 Kings 3, and I'm going to start at verse 3. It says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice fair, for that was the great high place, Solomon used, to offer, Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, Ask what I shall give you. Imagine that. God coming to him and saying, just ask and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, Because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept him, um, this great and steadfast love, and given it to me, a son, to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a child. I do not know how to go out or how to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people who you have chosen, a great people. Too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon asked for this. And God said to him, because you've asked for this and not asked yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Before I give you, uh, behold, I give you wise and discerning minds, so that none like you has been before, and none like you shall arise after you. So this is Solomon. He is, God offered him everything. What do you want? Solomon said, I basically want wisdom to know how to do my job. You've made me king of your people. There are a whole bunch of them. It's extremely complex. I'm young. Teach me how to do this, how to do this this job. And if we flick over, if you just jump over to chapter 4, Verse 32, just to confirm what it is about this man Solomon, it says in verse 32 of chapter 4, it says, He also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the sea that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out the wall. He spoke also of the beasts and of the birds and of the reptiles and the fish and people of all nations who came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard his wisdom. So Solomon... The wisest man who ever lived. God blessed him with an understanding that was beyond anything that anyone had ever had beforehand and will ever have. This guy, wisest man ever lived outside Jesus. And if you go back to Proverbs, you read the first line of Proverbs, what does it say? The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So this is, these are his words. You've got the smartest, wisest guy who ever lived writing down some of the things he's learnt. And so for us, thousands of years later, we can learn from the best and actually what it means to live this life and do this life well. Now, the structure of the book of Proverbs, the first nine chapters, 1, two, three, five, seven, eight, 9, form an introduction to the book, which is what we're going to be focusing on in this sermon series. Chapters 10 to 29, which is the majority of the rest of the book, are a collection of individual sayings from Solomon. Are these short sayings, a couple of lines each. And then the final two chapters, chapter 30 and 31, are Proverbs written by other people that have all been collected together. And chapter 31 um, includes that famous bit about the the wonderful wife that a lot of people know about. Um, So that's sort of the overall structure of the book. We're going to be focusing on chapters 1 to 9 with this series, but we'll also look at chapter 31 right at the end. And we encourage everyone in their own time to read The middle chapters, chapters 10 to 30, which you'll have lots of um, good times doing that. Now, the style of Proverbs, different from much of the rest of the Bible. They contain pithy sayings, short sayings, short snappy things that you can easily commit to memory and and trot out. They express general truth. They don't necessarily explain them. You don't find a reason argument in Proverbs, not like in some of the epistles later that Paul writes. He writes a reason defense for I believe this about Christ, therefore it means this, therefore this is how you should live. No, Proverbs is just a couple of sentences about a particular supplement. There's not um, a kind of a reason defense. They basically assume that you'll agree with them and see the wisdom in them. That's what, that's what Proverbs is like. So it takes a, a kind of a discerning mind to read it. They are universal, which means they cover... So many areas of life, and they cover all peoples everywhere. It doesn't actually mention God's covenant people in the book, which is Israel at the time. Solomon was king of Israel. They were his covenant people. They were his chosen ones. They're not mentioned, which is odd considering the rest of the Bible, how much it talks about God's chosen people. Israel and then the church, they're not mentioned. So this is applicable to all people at all time, everywhere. This is as a universal application. It's comprehensive, it covers every conceivable subject from poverty and concern of the poor to laziness, to money, to domestic life, to relationships between parents and children, to friendship, to how we speak, to sex, to temptation, to work, to life, to death. It just covers so many subjects. It's so broad-ranging, the book of Proverbs, and it contains truisms, not promises, but general principles of how life should work most of the time. They're not cast iron guarantees or divine promises and they don't deal necessarily with the special events or unusual circumstances of life. Proverbs just talks about generally how life should work most of the time and how most things work out in human experiences. Now we're all about Jesus here as a church, I said that up front, I hold to that but when you read the book of Proverbs, guess who doesn't appear in it directly, Jesus. So what are we going to do with that? Because we saw last week when I was finishing off the Jesus the King sermon um, and Jesus appeared to his followers and he opened the Old Testament and basically said everything pointed to him. We read in 2 Timothy that all scripture is breathed out by God. Everything from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, is all about him. So how does the book of Proverbs point to Jesus? Well, there are several ways. Let me just put them out to you and you need to be mindful of this as we look through. First one, there's his character. Proverbs describes someone... And talks about someone who is extremely wise and lives a good life. Jesus is the only person we know who's lived the perfect life. He always made the good, right, and godly decisions. So, effectively, reading Proverbs and reading how the person should be living and how we're asked to live is actually reading about the character of Jesus. This is his perfect life is displayed out before us. What about his teaching? We know some of Jesus' specific teaching. We have that in the Gospels and then it's expounded through the rest of the New Testament but actually there's much of Jesus' life that isn't mentioned directly but actually we read Proverbs if it's all from God. This is all Jesus' teachings to us. How he would have, how he would have answered disciples if they would asked specific things about how do I deal with my parents that are being annoying or how do I deal with work and, and life and things like that. This contains Jesus' teaching. It also contains Jesus' mission because what we find in the book of Proverbs is we find the biggest human problem highlighted graphically, which is our sin. Our sin which puts us in, um, under God's judgment as a holy God and all the evil that we are capable of and all the bad and wrong decisions we make, we see it kind of lived out in Proverbs in graphic details. How you shouldn't live life and the, mis- and the consequences of making mistakes. And so what we see here is Jesus' mission. He came to deal with that problem. He came to to deal with it, the results of our ungodly choices. By his death and resurrection on the cross, he he paid the penalty that we should have paid for all our bad choices again and again and again that we make, how we've offended God, we've turned them back from God, how we've hurt and damaged those around us. And all through the book of Proverbs, you'll hear the voice of wisdom calling out saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. And that's Jesus calling to us, as his people saying, come back to him. Last thing about the overall kind of book of Proverbs is a warning, a health warning. It has great practical teaching in this book that we're going to look at, but that is no success. uh, Sorry, no guarantee for success in life. Solomon, who we just read about, the wisest man who ever lived after Jesus, failed miserably at the end of his life. We've read Proverbs 3. Oh, sorry, 1 Kings 3. He asked for wisdom. Good man. We read 1 Kings 4. And people from the, all around the world came to hear this guy. He was so smart. 1 Kings 11, you see the end of his story, which was truly tragic, where he ended up uh, turning his back on God and forsaking the God who had given, blessed him so much. So practical teaching is great and how we should live life and things like that, but without our humble commitment to Jesus, it can all end in disaster, which is what it did to Solomon. All right, let's get into the passage for today. We're just going to read the first few verses. So we've seen the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. That's the man who is behind this work. He wrote it, and behind them we have the God who blessed him with great wisdom. And it says this, verse 2, it says, To know wisdom. despise wisdom and instruction okay we'll leave it there come back to the rest of that next week two parts of this we've got the first section chapters two to six which is the purpose of the book and then we've got chapter uh, verse seven there which is the foundation of the book of everything that's going to come on so the first few verses there the purpose of the book we're going to look at the how what uh, and why of this book so if we want to learn wisdom if we want to learn wisdom How are we going to learn wisdom? Well, if you're one of those people who likes to write in your Bible or mark in your Bible, if you go down, look at verse 2, look at verse 3, look at verse 4, and look at verse 6, how do they all start? With the word 2. There's an activeness. You need to know, you need to receive, you need to give, you need to understand. There's something that we need to do to take practical steps to learn wisdom. We need to be willing and not passive. If you're gonna learn how to live life the way God wants you to live life, the way that's healthy and godly and righteous for him, we need to be proactive in there. There's an activeness to that too. You've got to do something. You can't just sit back and expect to learn by osmosis. And just like, if I sit here long enough and do nothing, I will become wise. I will know how to, how to act godly in any given situation. And then what are we to do? It says you are to know, verse 2. And that means to become conscious, to become aware, to observe, to perceive, to realize. It says then you're to understand. That means you take the information you've got and you implement it in a good and a wise way. We are to receive, which means um, you take hold of something. If you're to receive something, you have to be active and give it to you. It was my birthday last week. And I got given gifts And people came to me and said, you know, happy birthday, here's your present. It was wonderful. But I had to take it. You have to actually get hold of it. Otherwise, you look like a lemon because they stand there holding it and you're just like, thanks. Brilliant, happy birthday to me. No, you've got to grab the gift. You've got to open it. You've got to enjoy it. You've got to be active about these things. And if you look at verses um, 3 and 4, you've got almost a teacher student then there. One is to give and the other one is to receive take hold so there is a givingness as well there's a givingness in terms of wisdom they're trying to give god wants to give you something hand over something and we are to receive this gift that he's given us and it's it's instruction that we're going to res- receive now for some of you this might make you feel like Oof. you suddenly have flashbacks to school you know and those kind of things because it's all about being brought to correction and being challenged and being disciplined and being open to being told that's right and that's wrong so if you're going to take wisdom and listen to its teaching as it comes to you you've got to be active in receiving but you've also got to be aware that actually it's going to train you it's going to change you it's going to do something to you. you might think I think like this and then wisdom says actually no you should be thinking like this I act like this and it says no actually you should be acting like this so we have to be prepared to change and have our thinking corrected. So there's the how, what about the what? What are we going to be given? Well it says here what you're going to be given, it says you're going to have words of insight, good sense and discernment you will receive. You'll have about wise dealings in verse three, so you'll know how to deal with people well. There's righteousness and justice and equity, it says. So righteousness is knowing God's standards, justice is a legal term knowing right and wrong, and equity is fairness. So you'll know how to act in all those ways. God's standards. You know what's right and wrong. You know how to be fair with people. It uses the word prudence, which is a bit of a funny word, a bit of an old word, but that just means uh, like shrewdness, being cunning in a good way. You can be cunning in a bad way, but you can also be cunning in a good way, being savvy, being canny about things. And lastly, in verse 5, it says you'll have guidance. You'll know which way to go once you have received wisdom. To sum it all up, It's basically how do you do life well is what is offer on offer here at the beginning of this book. It's basically saying, are you willing to take that? Are you willing to say, yeah, do you know what, I'm going to receive that instruction. I'm going to take on board what you are offering, Lord, about how I do this life well. Because I've been a pastor long enough to know that actually nearly all our problems, if not all of them, are basically born out of bad decisions we make mistakes we make, things we do which we think, oh, I shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have gone there, shouldn't have acted like that. If I could go back and change a few things, you'd do, do, do them differently. And what we'll are probably be saying, let me teach you, let me train you, let me help you in doing those things. So when you come to them, you'll make good, wise and godly decisions. Who's it addressed to? Well, it says, if you look at verse 4 and 5, it, it says it's addressed to the youth, the young I still feel I'm in that category just, despite just turning 41. So if you're under me, we're young and we're the youth. And so, but actually, really what it's aimed at is probably more teenagers, what they were describing, the kind of the young, those people. And he describes them beautifully as simple, which basically means lacking wisdom. When I was a teenager, I just want to let you know, I didn't think I was simple. I thought I had it sussed. Anyone else? The more I've grown, the real, what I've realized is actually, maybe I didn't know it quite so well as I thought. And if I knew what I knew now back then, maybe life would have gone slightly differently. God is gracious. But this is written to those who are simple, those who lack wisdom, who know they lack wisdom, and it's particularly in the young. But the interesting thing here is actually you have to know you lack wisdom. If you don't think you lack wisdom, then you're not going to be open to learn. Because it also points at another group of people. It talks about the youth, but if you go on to the next verse, it says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. So actually, whether you are simple, inverted common, lacking in wisdom when you know it, or you think you're wise and you think, well, I've been around a while. I've got gray hairs. I've got, I've got experience of life. I've done things. I've been here. I've done that. I've worked hard and gone up a career, so I know about that. I've been married. I've had children. I've learned something. Basically, what Proverbs is saying, you have still got room to learn more. There's no room for pride. There's no room for the pride of youth thinking you know it all. There's no room for the pride of older, mature years thinking I've learnt it all, I've done it all. Proverbs is saying actually everybody has still got room to learn and grow. And I remember as I was reading this, I was reminded of something my dad used to say to me so often. When I was doing my um, exams, kind of first time around GCSEs, I remember moaning at home and saying things, words to the effect of I'm so glad when this is over and I'm done with exams you know I'm done when I'm like when I'm 16 when it's done and I've finished exams will be no more and I'll have the decades of my life ahead without this exam and preparation and study and and the life and my dad always used to say knowingly which and I thought in error his dad always says, you never stop learning you're never going to have to stop going through tests and exams and qualifications and whatever. They, they might change. You might not be at school, but you're still going to have to keep going through them. And guess what, annoyingly? Yeah, he was right. Yeah. He knew. And it's like, and that's what Proverbs is saying. It doesn't matter how long you've been. You've always been around. You've always got room to learn, room to grow, and room to add on. So that's what the book of Proverbs is on offer to us. Now, what's the foundation? The next section, verse 7. It says... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I looked up a couple of other translations. It says this one, another translation of this verse. It says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Another translation said this, start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. A foundation of a building is vital. Absolutely vital. If the foundations are off, the bit you can't even see, the whole building will collapse. It will be condemned. It will fall in on itself. People won't be able to live in it. People won't be able to enjoy it. And the foundation of this book is that verse. It's the most important verse. If you're a highlighter or an underliner, underline that verse, star that verse. It appears here right at the beginning. the book of proverbs if you read to the end of chapter uh, 9 which is the end of the intro it appears again in verse 10 of chapter 9 as almost like the same idea you've got to get this this is the one verse that makes everything else else happen it's the most important book uh, important verse in the book and without that verse if you took that out and took that sense out effectively all you've got left is a self-help book I went on Amazon and I typed in self-help in the book section of Amazon, push enter, Um, it was over 300,000 hits, came back, I thought there's a lot of self-help out there, you know, but actually what makes this book different from just generic ones you find in the bookstore is this whole thing about the fear of the Lord and the focus on God. So what is the fear of the Lord? Well, the second line gives you a little bit of a clue. It says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. A common Hebrew way of writing was they put two two lines together, and the second line would kind of explain or help clarify the first line, often by a contradiction or just something like that. And so what he's saying is, a fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but then it says the opposite here, kind of, what's the opposite side of that? Well, it's for fools, and fools despise wisdom, and they despise instruction. They're too proud. They, they, they think they're too good for it. They, they have contempt or aloofness or arrogance, or they're just too busy for learning and growing in themselves. So that's kind of the opposite. The idea of the fear of the Lord fear is a sense of reverent awe. It's realizing you are not the center of everything. It's realizing you are way smaller than you think. It's not um, cringing de- dread like terror, but it's recognizing who God is. I remember um, a couple of weeks ago, um, my family were away, we were in North Wales with my dad and kind of the whole family together, it was his 70th birthday, uh, and we were there celebrating, having a great time, and one of the things my dad wanted to do was to go and climb a mountain, because he we were not far from the Snowdonia National Park, he said, I want to go and climb Snowdon, and so met him, his three sons, and a couple of grand, the older grandkids uh, and the daughter law decided we were going to go and climb Snowdon and we were driving in very early in the morning to get a space in the car park and as you drive into Snowdon, you're down at sea level and you come to the mountains and suddenly the, kind of the mountains appear and they're not even like big proper mountains, but they're, they're big to me and as you're driving and you get closer, they just get taller and taller and you have this, I remember sitting in the car looking up at these mountains and you suddenly realize there are billions of tons of rock and granite, whatever they're made of there And as you're driving into the mountains, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I suddenly, nothing changed with me, but I suddenly felt smaller and smaller and smaller. And there was this sense in my heart, my heart started to beat fast, thinking, I am really tiny and insignificant compared to these. And we're going to try and climb these and get on top of these, but they are everywhere. And they surround us. For long you're in there, they're behind you, they're all around you. And I had that sense of, oh my goodness, I'm not very big. I'm not as important as I think when you compare with what I'm looking at here. And that's a little bit of the sense of the awesomeness of God. One person described it like that. When you have the fear of the Lord, you realize it says, I am not the measure of all things, but I am being measured. That's that idea of God is looking into you. And if we read the rest of the Bible, it gives some clarity of what the the fear of the Lord is. If we read on in Proverbs, it says, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility wisdom and humility so it's being humble before God recognizing who he is recognizing who you are in Job it says and he said to man behold the fear of the Lord that is wisdom and to turn away from evil is understanding so fear of the Lord is a willingness to repent and change our behavior when we realize it's wrong before God It says in Genesis 22, he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing if you have not withheld your son, your only son to me. That's Abraham who was about to uh, sacrifice Isaac. And God stopped him and said, actually, you feared God because you were willing to submit to my will even when you didn't understand it even when you didn't get it. It's also a way that we express love to God. It says in Deuteronomy, in the law, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statues and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. It's actually a way we express love. And then it goes right on to say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So there's an expression there of the love of God. It says in Ephesians that we are to submit to one another out of Reverence to Christ. Same idea. That fear of God, fear of Christ, that awe, that's how we submit to one another, not thinking ourselves better. It's also a place of confidence. It says in Proverbs 14, in the, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will always have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord is all about going on a deeper relationship with God. Often people come to Christianity and they're new to it all and they get saved. Almost, Christianity can just seem like a list of do's and don'ts. Don't do that, that's bad. Do do this, that's good. But actually the fear of the Lord is, is a deepening of that relationship. Growing in wisdom begins with that. One um, writer put it like this. He says, what verse 7 is saying, which is about the fear of the Lord, it says, is like it's your ABCs after reading Shakespeare." so the fear of the Lord is to wisdom. Like ABC is to reading Shakespeare, so the fear of the Lord is the wisdom. It's the beginning. It's how you start. If you want to get up to read Shakespeare, you've got to know A, B, and C, and how they fit together. It's so saying if you want to be wise before God, you've got to start with fearing him. Don't leave God out at the beginning, it's saying. He's not there at the foundations, the house of your life will fall eventually, either in this life or the next. And this can be painful for us, because it means we have to let go of ego, We have to let go of feelings of self-importance. We are no longer the most important people in this world. And so we need to come to God with humility. So how do you experience that humility to God? How do you experience humbleness before God? Well, I would suggest the most obvious place is to go and look at the cross. Go and look at the cross of Christ. Because when you see the cross of Christ, you see the perfect Son of God dying on the cross in our place paying the punishment for our sins so that we can go free and when we experience that and when we acknowledge that and when we take that on board and actually realize what the cross meant we can't feel proud there's no place for boasting at the foot of the cross one theologian put the foot of the cross is level there's no higher or lower everyone stands equal there when we look at Christ's broken body and we've all got things to repent of. We've all got sin and shame that we need de- dealing with. And we all recognize that we, are, we need grace and mercy to live this life. We cannot save ourselves. But because of what Christ has done, we are spared. And it's not just we're spared from the punishment we deserve. We are given so much. We are now children of God. We've been made righteous and holy before him. We can come before our Father in heaven and make, make requests anytime we want. We can call on the resources of heaven in prayer whenever we want. And when you grasp that, when we have that, there's no place for pride. And we've, we've kind of grasped something of the fear of God and it is the beginning of wisdom for us all. All right. Last couple of bits of application and we will finish. All right. Three things. As we begin this series, um, first one, I want you to be open to learn. Open to learn. This requires humility and willingness. Come every week with that it's attitude of, God, what are you going to teach me today? When you come into the room, when you realize, oh, we're going to do this part, we've got the next part of the series, or during the singing, or something, I'll pray that prayer. Say, God, teach me today. Train me today. If you're really bold, say, God, correct me today in my wrong thinking. Shape me. If you're really hardcore, say, discipline me, Lord. Discipline me that I may be, you know, wise before you. Every time you open your Bible, Say, God, teach me. Grant me wisdom. Let me learn as I, as, I kind of, as I read your word. The good news in all of that, James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And what does God do? Gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So it's, it's available to all of us. If we ask with faith, say, God, give it to me, we will receive it. Number two. I'd like you to read the book of Proverbs. Have you got that card that had 1 to 31 on it? Guess how many chapters there are in Proverbs? 31. 31. I'd love you to use that as a reading plan. Maybe read a chapter a day. Just tick it off when you've done it. We one a day. When you start, when you get your Bible, just say a prayer. Lord, teach me through this. Read the chapter of Proverbs that you're up to at that time and read it again. Then read it again, so you've read it several times through and you kind of got it. If there's one particular verse, one particular proverb, one particular section that sticks out, write that down. Write that down somewhere. You might want to write on the card if you've got it or whatever you have on a post-it note. Then try and memorize it or maybe stick it on somewhere you're going to see that rest of that day, on a mirror, you know, on your phone or whatever it is, and then tell someone about it. Tell someone, this is what I learned today. This is the proverb that stuck me out. And there are some cracking ones in there, by the way. One of my favorites is the one about dogs and vomit. You'll love that one when you get to that one. If you don't know that one, it's just brilliant, that one. But there's some really good stuff in there. But just try and memorize it. And then tell someone, text someone. This is my proverb for the day. I know some of you are on WhatsApp. Just text out, this is what I've learned today. If you've still got your card out, what I'd suggest you do now, though, is write verse number seven at the bottom of what you're doing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction and just remember so I mean that could be your first one for today just remembering that thinking about that chewing on that throughout the day last one if you're a reader how about reading a book about proverbs i read this one in part of my preparation i read a bunch but this was the best i felt um, this is called proverbs wisdom that works by a guy called Raymond Ortland, and it's a fantastic book I've got if you this is my copy and there's just I've I've written all in it and lines and all sorts of underlines it's brilliant it it takes particularly the first nine chapters that we're going to be looking at and then a bunch of other themes uh, throughout the books of Proverbs if you're a reader grab a copy of this you can order it online it's a fantastic compliment it does not replace reading your Bible obviously but if you're a reader and you like to read a little bit alongside it read this book as well it will be fantastic to help you get through the book of Proverbs are we ready to learn about God and his, gain His wisdom through this series? Maybe you want to stand. I'm just going to pray. Can the band come back up and finish, and we'll finish? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Grab the, John. Grab, grab the mic. Let me just. You want to just close your eyes. Let me just pray. And it's your first opportunity to be willing (laughs) and open to learn um, whatever God wants you to. Maybe you want to close your eyes. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are wisdom. Lord God, that that you revealed it to us. Lord, we thank you for your word that we have. We thank you for the example of the life you live, God. We want to say this morning, God, we are a humble people before you. Lord Jesus, we recognize that without you and what you've done, we're nothing, Lord. We have no hope and no future without you, Jesus. And we thank you for your death on the cross. We thank you that you died in our place for us sin. We thank you that you rose from death victorious and that we enjoy the fruits of your victory, uh, Lord. Not because we're good or we're smart or anything, Lord, just because you are gracious and merciful and kind to your people. And Holy Spirit, I ask you come today and you fill your people. And I'm going to pray a bold prayer. God, I'm going to say, Lord, teach me, train me through your word. Lord, correct my thinking where it's wrong. Teach me how to do life well. Teach me to be wise in my dealings with my family, and my friends, and those who meet. Lord God, teach me about, about things that I've got wrong in my thinking. Lord God, I ask you give us wisdom as a church to be a wise people. That as we read your word, as we study it, as we think about it, as we chew it over, Lord God, as we talk about it in our life groups, God, we would grow as in wisdom for you. And Lord, we thank you for your promise that you're willing to give it to us. It's not, you're not a mean, stingy father who wants to hold it back. You want to give it to us, Lord Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Do you want to? Go on.
1: James. Um, James, sorry. Can we have there? Okay. Okay. <laughs> um. Right, right at the start, of this, I, want to te- I want to testify to God's ability to work on wisdom and your ability to access that wisdom. And I've got that from personal experience. Now, I'm, I'm, I've got dyslexia, and I've had extra tuition at, uh, outside of school. I've had extra tuition inside school to try and b- bring me up to a, a basic standard of what many people in the room may have. But I remember facing my dissertation at uni thinking, Lord, I'm not going to get through this. I am. How can I, one, read enough text? How can I take the knowledge I've got in my head and get it out onto paper um, with such a big, big assignment to do. And I started praying about it because I was the fear that just riddled me was huge. And um, so I've always understood that I've got knowledge. Dyslexia doesn't make you a thick person. It just means that you have difficulty getting it out in some respects or getting it written down. And um, so I got hold of some of the key texts that Uh, especially James reference Proverbs is a book I really enjoy and I just got praying into it and praying into it and praying into it and then suddenly the book started opening and I I was reading them in new ways and the words were staying in my mind and um, living with me and God helped me over he basically accelerated my my um, capacity really and that's what it's capacity to one to read but retain but also enjoy and to benefit from his word and so if you're here today and you've also maybe got a learning difficulty or if you're someone who prefers to learn through other mechanisms maybe th- other mediums if don't be held back or think ah, oh, this this is a write-off I've got so many months of not getting any, get any of this uh, sermon series do be humble do be honest with God and then start practicing and, and, and getting the text open and share the news, the share the wisdom like Stuart said, WhatsApp, life groups, um, whatever it may be, talk about what you are picking up because you will, if you are someone who accesses this very easily, you'll be helping those who don't Get an, get a um, break down some of those barriers and hurdles and, and concerns about the fact that much of this may need to be read in order to get the most out of it. So God is good, he'll deliver on what he says, put in the work and you'll receive.